Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire and keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with Yussi. What's up? Hey, Toby. Winter is coming to Helsinki. Last night, the temperature dropped close to zero Celsius. I had to look this up. It's about 32 Fahrenheit. So I realized it's it's time to start preparing the house and, and life in general for the colder months. So at the time of recording, uh, we are in late October. So it will get really cold in November and hopefully we'll see the sun in April next year again. And since we moved to a new house and we used to live in a complex, there's quite a bit of stuff you have to actually buy from a store, like snow shovels, brooms, and, and something called the snow scoop. I, I think it's like a, like a slag. You need to clear the yard of anything that shouldn't freeze overnight or during the day. So it's fun, but I also now realize that when you live in a house, you have all sorts of additional chores you really have to get done and it makes your evenings quite busy. Welcome to life as a homeowner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how it is. Yeah, we, we also got pretty cold last night, three degrees Celsius. So um, a bit of ice on the windshield on the on the car, but that's it. So we're definitely going in for the, the darker and colder times now. Um, on my end, I have been exploring offices downtown and I've been sitting in co-working places and, and checking out those rent a place for the day type of deals and, and spots because I, I really miss people and being around others, even if we're not necessarily working on the same things because I work remotely um, you know, with a, with a US-based team. So I've been doing that for eight years and that's a long time. But previously I spent quite a few uh, of my days, even if I were working remotely in shared offices and coffee shops with people that I knew. But the last two years have been asked for the majority of people entirely from home and now with meetings mostly in the afternoon and evenings, right now at least, that fits me pretty well to go somewhere from the morning up until lunch and then come back uh, for the remainder of the day to, to work from home. So flexibility always wins and I'm definitely going to pursue one of those options to have a bit more flexibility in my working day and really yeah, not sit just isolated at home, even if I have a pretty nice home office and I've, I've got a good atmosphere and I've got all the setup that I need, even though that's not a lot, but I miss the people. So getting out and about around other people, having lunch with old friends and new friends, I think that's what matters to me right now. I, I hear you. We have an office in the city center for, so, so for me, it's, it's like a 20 minute commute. I rarely go there, mostly because everybody else is, is working remotely as well. I quite often go to a cafe for a couple of hours just, just to get the noise and the crowd around me to do some sort of work that doesn't require audio or, or video at all. Alrighty, so today we are talking about exporting data from Dataverse to Azure. It's super interesting and, and the focus for us is really on the Azure bit, but there's, there's this uh, link to Power Platform and Dataverse from here. So I've been working on this quite a bit, but before we sort of dive into the details and, and how do you achieve this, Toby, what's your exposure to Dataverse as of today? 
pretty much nothing. So I think this is going to be an interesting episode for that reason, for myself personally, because I, I have not been exposed other than, you know, when it's been announced, I've taken Fartspin, uh, checked, it, checked it out, but, you know, nothing production grade, nothing spinning for, you know, long running operations or anything that is like, yeah, that is supposed to be supporting a real solution. So only just about dabbled with it. Uh, and, and that some time ago. So very minimal exposure to this. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that. So, so as a super brief background on this one, Dataverse, that's the centralized database that lives in Power Platform as part of a Power Platform environment. So you can have multiple environments, thus you can have multiple Dataverse uh, environments. I, I'm trying to avoid to say Dataverse database because technically it's much more than a database. Uh, underneath the hood, Dataverse is based on Azure SQL. But what you get from Dataverse is you get reporting, you get uh, a bit of analytics, you get business rules, you get custom views, you can attach forms. So how I often approach Dataverse is that it's a database for your company data, but you can also add all sorts of, of business integration and business data related features on top of Dataverse without having the need to move away from Power Platform. This brings us to the actual need. Why do I need to export data from Dataverse to Azure? Uh, the main reason that I've seen with, with several projects now is that companies often want to do real reporting, real analytics, real statistics. And for that, they have the tooling typically for a relational database. So typically they are expecting to get an Azure SQL database so that they can use Excel, they can use Python, they can use machine learning, any sort of capabilities to connect to another relational database to do financial reporting, to do monthly reports. And if they connect directly with Dataverse, it's simply too slow and it's not flexible enough because they're expecting to get a real SQL, but instead they, they're getting this, this mismatch of everything else, even though there's a SQL underneath. So this is sort of the need, how we arrived to this, this capability. And up until roughly now, the solution has been something called Data Export Services or DES. And this is a Microsoft add-on that you bolt on top of Dynamics 365 that connects with Dataverse and extracts the data structures and the table structures for you directly to Azure SQL. But this is going away. So it's it's deprecated and end of life will be late November 2022. So now we're finally getting, getting to the essence. What's the new solution? And this is called Azure Synapse Link to Azure Storage Data Lake Services Gen 2. So that's that's a lot to digest. So Toby, again, I'm asking you, what's your exposure with Azure Storage? I know you've played a lot with that, but how about for data lake services on top of Azure Storage? Yeah, that's a good question. So Azure Storage, I am intimately familiar with in, in a lot of different angles, but for Azure Storage Data Lake, I have not spent that much time with it. I have only uh, taken a look when there's been a need for migrating data using like Azure Data Box Gateway or, or something like that. And you can ship data to to the cloud um, or, or using Azure Data Box for that matter. But 
Um, I, I haven't used that because, you know, during the time that I built all the services that I built, we, we never really had a need for doing any of these things. So I, I minimal exposure to data lake uh, services and, and also Azure Synapse link. I have taken a look at that and, and there are some really interesting kind of factual points where I see this would be extremely beneficial in several use cases that I have uh, or used to have as well. So maybe there's a actually a good episode just on that and like what is that service and how do we set that up and, and why would we use it? But in, in this scenario, very minimum, uh, not much experience around it. So the only thing I know is this thing, I think we talked about that at some point, it lives in the power platform somewhere, but that's about it. So you are correct. So Azure Synapse Link lives in Power Platform. So, so when you go to Power Platform, so that could be through make.powerapps.com, you select the environment you want to work with because that ties you to a specific Dataverse instance. Uh, from there, uh, when you open Dataverse and you can browse the tables and, and configure those or even add data to your tables in Dataverse, you have a button called Synapse Link. And the configuration for that is super easy. All you have to do is, is to point to an Azure storage account that has to have the data lake services Gen 2 capabilities enabled. And once those are enabled, and if you have the permissions set correctly, uh, you can then configure and, and have this sort of data pump to sign a Synapse link to extract data from the specified tables in Dataverse and copy that data literally to Azure Storage Data Lake services. So it will sit on Azure Storage, but it has a hierarchy, meaning they look like folders on Azure Storage. And the data will be dumped in, in, in JSON format. And then it's up to you to decide what do you want to do with this. So the old solution, the data export services, that connected directly from Dataverse to Azure SQL. It did not use Synapse Link. The new solution connects from Dataverse to Synapse Link to Azure Storage Data Lake services, but it doesn't do the rest. So you do not get anything beyond Data Lake services. And, and you probably do not want to do reporting from Azure Storage. You still want to do reporting from Azure SQL. So now we need to fix the second bit here. And there's really two options, the preferred, the supported, the recommended option from Azure Data Lake services to Azure SQL is to use Azure Data Factory. And I do recall we did talk a bit about Azure Data Factory and Postgres, I think in episode 141 could be. It wasn't specifically on ADF, but I, I, I vaguely remember that, that we did have a discussion on that. So when we talk about ADF, Azure Data Factory, that always brings back memories from SQL Server integration services. Does it remind you, Toby, of that, or are you more recently exposed to Azure Data Factory? Yeah, that that's fairly recent for me. You know, back in back in the day, when when you say when you remember back to to those things, and you know, I, I was working with less architecture and with more like solution development and solution uh, architecture, which was not like the infrastructure, but more the the code base and operations and security. So I haven't done much of that part, which I'm 
you know, to some extent thankful for because I've heard I've heard the stories of the projects and the challenges within them. But I'm also happy we have Azure Data Factory now because it, just looking at the specs of that, it, it looks like they, it's a lot more simplified today to use. It, it sure is, but Azure Data Factory is, is, is a fairly complex base at the same time. With, with SQL Server integration services, uh, you had the graphical designer and the same is available or, or the same looking graphical designer is available for ADF. So how this works out is that you spin up ADF and ADF instance, and then you configure the inbound data, data lake services from those blobs you have in Azure storage in a hierarchy. You configure a triggering mechanism that whenever we get a refresh in the JSON files that define the model of the Dataverse table or the, the Delta files, those are CSV files, which again is the best integration format there is. Whenever you get any updates on those, you trigger the pipeline in Azure Data Factory. You go through those files and then you connect to a desired Azure SQL and you pump those updates there. So in, in a way, you do not need to write SQL queries at all. You can sort of graphically design this. But there's quite a bit of configuration required and you sort of need to get around the whole ADF concepts and managing and monitoring and executing the pipelines and debugging the errors and reacting if something fails. So it's it's interesting to me that the previous capability, the data export services, that was a point and click exercise. Now with ADF, you're essentially doing a data platform exercise when the only need you perhaps had was, I want to copy data from Dataverse to Azure SQL. I do not care about the rest. We need to do an episode at some point with perhaps somebody who knows more about Azure Data Factory because there's a lot of moving parts in there. So this is the sort of the recommended upgrade path from the old legacy deprecated data export services to something more modern. But there's an alternative approach here as well. If we feel that ADF is too enterprisey, uh, the, uh, the other option is to, is to build it your, yourself. So basically get events from the data lake services through event grid. And when you get an event that the blob has been updated, fire off an Azure function. Pick up the changes, connect with Azure SQL, pump the data in there. It essentially does the same thing for you. Perhaps it's more lightweight, but you also have to implement the function yourself. So you can use PowerShell or C-sharp or what have you. Any any thoughts, Toby, on this? Would you, would you go for ADF by default, or are you more inclined to open Visual Studio Code and actually implement the function yourself? That's a great question. And as in every episode, when we have situations like this, it depends, right? And it depends on the project. It depends on the context of the application or the data. What type of information do we have? What kind of structure is it? And how often and how much data do we think we need to read and write? You know, there's a lot of variables involved in making decisions like that. And Azure Functions are awesome for a lot of things. And it's pretty lightweight to get started with. But if you have an insane amount of data that is going to be transmitted and and maybe strange data patterns, maybe you send 200 million items today and maybe you send 59,000 tomorrow, right? 
then you need something that can handle that dynamically as well. So if, if you use Azure Functions, I would say that the caveat that you have is you need to understand or should be prepared for scaling and reliability and performance and optimization. Like how do you handle everything else? Because Azure Functions, while it's mostly fire and forget, I've seen them fail over and over, not because the logic in the function is is bad, but because they get overloaded and you're sending too many requests and you get 429s, which is uh, throttling. So you need to kind of back off. So the question coming back or the multiple questions coming back are, how do you handle scale? What type of data and how much do you intend to, to send over the wire? Uh, can a single function handle that? Should that be uh, a bunch of functions? Should you have something dedicated? Should you have, yeah, you know, the, the question is, yep, just keeps coming up. So I think the more context you have up front, the easier it is to, uh, to make the decision. So if it's massive amount of data and that's going to happen continuously and maybe you need to shape it in some way, then Azure Data Factory might be a great option for that. If it's more lightweight type of data or a single type of, or, or a few single types of data formats that you need to occasionally ship over, or you know kind of the amount of data that you're going to send, maybe Functions is a great option. But if, if you can tie it to an Azure event grid, like you mentioned, then you can use Azure Logic Apps, you can use Azure Functions, you can use really anything that ties into those events. But again, it's on you to handle the logic and ensure that it's reliable, it is secured, it is running in such a way that you know whatever comes in, it will be handled in the right way. And and that might even be that, okay, we're we're getting too many messages, just put them on the queue, that might be fine if if your use case supports that. So then the queue can just add up and the function will process whenever it has time. Uh, but more often than not, I've seen in, in the real world where you do that because you don't want to scale up the function or, or you don't have the resources or capacity to scale up the function for whatever reason. You just add stuff to the queues. And then at one point, you might have hundreds of millions of items in the queue. And that's going to take a lot of time to process. So yeah, I don't have a sim single answer for you there. I just have additional considerations. And those are like founded in my experiences from the field as well, building these things. I never built anything with Azure Data Factory. So like I said before, I'm transparent with that. I did build a lot of Azure functions and some logic apps as well. So whenever you do that, whenever you go down the road of building something, it's on you to ensure that they are reliable, performant, and they can handle anything you throw their way. Serverless is awesome. It can handle a lot, but your logic and your infrastructure configuration determines how that will be handled and what happens when you run out of capacity. So if you do that the right way, there's no problem, but there is a lot of things to consider. I, I really like this insights here because with, with functions, how I often see developers approaching is that, let me just code the function and let's fire it off and, and then we're done. But then you need to do scaling, as you said, you need to do monitoring, you need to have alerts, you need to have the the resilience and the reliability built into or around the functions as well. So Azure Data Factory, you configure that, you set it up, it runs and it has all of this built in. With Azure Functions, you're willing to, to build or design these capabilities on top of the actual logic. And it might be cheaper in terms of, of what the monthly cost will be for executing those functions. But then if you need to change something, let's say 
the data structure in Dataverse is, is changed or modified. Now you need to open the function and, and start going to that logic. How do we fix this in here? With ADF, you have the data flow mappings as a capability. I recall it costs you some extra, but the capability is still there. And you mentioned Azure Logic Apps. I, I often like to start with Logic Apps to force me to think through visually how do I want to build this. But perhaps modifying something in Logic Apps is slightly easier. But if you get a lot of updates in Dataverse, then functions obviously would be a better fit for the Azure Data Factory. So a couple of considerations here. When do you want to trigger this? With ADF, you can configure the triggering. Uh, you get a notification and then you can react to those. With Azure Functions or Logic Apps, you obviously subscribe to Event Grid notifications. And I feel ADF is subscribing to those as well behind the scenes. So in that sense, triggering is more or less the same regardless of what technology you choose to use for the integration. But then another aspect is real time. And far too often when designing something like this, somebody casually says, yeah, it needs to be real time. And I always try to drill down, can you define real time? Yes, real time. When I update something here, it needs to be there. Yes, but does it have to happen now? Or is it okay if the update happens an hour from now? Yeah, yeah, it's real time. An hour from now, it's, it's still fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny that you say that because I've been in exactly the same situation many times in discussions where, where we talk about real time and near real time um, and updated data and data needs to be up to date. Some data, when we worked with it, had to be updated every week. That's not real time, right? And real time data to us, that was on the millisecond or on the hundreds of a second that whenever the data happened, whenever you got the event shipped to, for example, event grid, bam, you need to handle it and you need to get the data shaped and plugged into the, the right format and send the signal or trigger the code, whatever you need to do with it. Uh, that's real time. Near real time was when it's okay if it takes five minutes because we need to launch a new Azure container instance and process something around the data that just happened and then produce a report or a result around that. That's kind of near real time. And then you have updated data and data that needs to stay up to date. And then you have at some point, like eventual consistency, if you will, at some point it's great if the data is actually updated as per the updates that happen now. So I think that that is a valid question uh, and actually something that I ended up having a lot of discussions about in the past as well. What is real time to you? Like there, there is a variable for that. And what is real time, first of all, and how does it compare to if you d define a schedule? Because if you have a, a five minute schedule and you have a scheduler running uh, or a cron job for extra functions, picking things up every five minutes, but you have a, a requirement for real time, but your definition of real time is every five or 10 minutes, then it doesn't matter, right? So I think those things should be taken in, into consideration. So that's very well pointed out. Exactly. And with ADF, the default trigger uh, that the documentation suggests as well is, is real time. So when it's getting a notification from Event Grid, it's picking up those files from Azure Data Lake services and writing those to Azure SQL, which is fine. It will add up on the total cost, of course, because you're utilizing the compute capacity of ADF a little bit more. But then again, we, we get to the question on so now that we have the data in Azure SQL and we're building the reports and doing analytics and, and whatnot, how often are we actually utilizing those end results? 
and and far too often it is well we go through those on a monday morning at the leadership meeting once a week okay so we could actually pause the whole thing and have dataverse sit there waiting for a sunday evening and then do one batch and upgrade up update everything in azure sql for monday morning so that we can run the report and then we get the final result so the the last sort of consideration here is what is the best option then adf i feel the upside is that it's an enterprise service it's been thought out already for you the downside is that it's fairly complex the data flow mappings and the numerous options you can tinker with you can easily spend days just fine-tuning things uh for azure functions it's simple but I often feel that for something like this, it feels a bit hacky at the same time. It's like, let me gobble together a quick function to do SQL inserts or upserts. But that's it. Everything else is sort of missing from there. So the Microsoft recommendation is ADF. And I feel I'm adjusting that based on the, the, the company need. If it's robust, it just needs to work. Let's go with ADF. If it's more budget-oriented, more simpler, I would definitely go with Azure Functions. Would you right. Would you agree on this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, with all the reflections we just did, um, keep those in mind. And as always, there is not a, if someone says, hey, you need to recommend me a solution and you can't provide the context around it, then it's going to be impossible, right? So you need to understand all of those things and, and ask the relevant and right questions in order to understand what you need to build and how. Okay, so let's assume here we are now going with ADF or we're going with whatever. You know, what is the cost going to be for something like this? And so now you want to, you want to use it, like, and and now we want to export the data from Dataverse to Azure. What will that set me back? My favorite question. It depends, of course. Uh, <laughs> so Azure Synapse Link is free in the context of pumping data from Dataverse to Azure Storage Data Lake Services. And, and the, the licensing is covered through your Power Platform or Microsoft 365 licenses. You do not have to worry about that. There's nothing you can configure for Synapse Link beyond that's the destination storage account. These are the tables that I want to sync. That's it. Uh, for Azure Storage and, and Data Lake Services, obviously it's a list price based on how much data you're doing and what sort of transactions. Dataverse pricing, let's not go too deep into there, but you get a certain amount of, of storage by default, then you can purchase more. And the tricky bits is Azure Data Factory. It's tough to estimate. It depends on what sort of data flow mappings you're doing, how much compute capacity you're actually utilizing, meaning how fast do you want to run through your integrations and, and how, how much you're utilizing that. My suggestion is go to Azure Pricing Calculator, log in with your account, do a draft sketch on, on the estimated transactions. Then you can return to that one when you save it, and, and you can tweak and fine tune that. But it easily goes up to hundreds of euros or dollars per month for a simple use, because the compute capacity is more or less a fixed cost per hour and you need to run those perhaps every day for hours on end so that adds up quite quickly and azure sql well it depends on how much data you're putting in there but pr 
probably you want to go for the serverless Azure SQL edition because then you can have the auto pause in there. When you're not using that through the week and you just pause that and you drop down on the cost. So really hard to give an exact number, but the main cost will be Azure Data Factory and Azure SQL. Okay, that's a pretty good roundup. All right, the last bit, the unexpected question. Uh, it's my turn to ask you. All righty. In certain cultures, people add an initial to their name, like a John T. Smith instead of a John Smith. And we don't have that culture in the Nordics, but would you ever do this? And if so, why? No. That's right. my answer. Final answer. <laughs> I have no idea uh, where that comes from. I'm sure there's a, a reason behind it, but it's yeah, like you mentioned, we don't have that here. Um, nobody in our family, nobody around our friends. I've never seen it in any context. Occasionally you see that, um, but I'm not sure if it's a name coming from Sweden then, or if it's um, a, a name coming from somewhere else. We don't typically spell things out like that. I mean, I have a middle name, uh, which is Daniel. So I, I don't know if it would be then Tobias D. D Zimmergren. I don't know but it's nothing we use, it's nothing we spell out. So the short answer and the long answer to your question is no. You could also go for a TD, that would be easier. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, uh, I, I, I think I'm I'm on the same boat here. I, I did play with the idea at some point, yeah, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd combine the initials of my first and second name or my middle name and just go with JT, but mm, no, it's, it doesn't roll off the tongue as, as well. All righty, thank you for tuning in. We'll have a fresh episode for you again next week on Wednesday. All right, see you then.